You're listening to the Purpose and Vision Mastery Podcast with Christine Rita Abankwa. Today we are talking to Hannah Karanja from Nairobi, Kenya. She is a corporate trainer turned online course creation strategist, and she's also a mental fitness coach. Now, Hannah specializes in helping people to take their knowledge and monetize it by teaching others what they know. So that could be your professional knowledge or perhaps something else that you're very passionate about and you've mastered. Maybe you've been trying to muster the confidence to go into consultancy because you're good at giving advice, or perhaps you would like to use your talents to make money on the side, or you may be going through a period of unemployment and you're looking for a way to use your time. Through her course, Boss Academy, Hannah helps people to identify topics that they can tap into to create their own online courses or monetize their knowledge in other ways. This sounds really exciting. Welcome, Hannah. How are you doing today? Hi, Christine. I'm fine. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for joining us. So, Hannah, tell us about monetizing one's knowledge. What is that all about? And monetizing your knowledge is all is all about taking what you know and love to do and using it to impact lives as you make money off it. Everybody has that talent. You might not know it, but everybody has that something that they can use to help those people who are a few steps behind them. Because a lot of times people tell me, oh, but I don't really have anything that I can teach. And I'm like, oh, yes, you do. You just don't realize because you know it so well and it comes naturally to you. So you don't realize that those people who don't know anything about what you know, what you know and love, and they will be happy to get someone to hold their hand and help them get to where you are. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that and um, breaking it down. I think, though, that the biggest challenge we have is actually identifying what we're good at. I mean, you as a course creation trainer, I'm sure you've experienced this a lot where somebody wants to monetize their knowledge, but they don't know where to start. That's a very common question. Most people say that they do want to start to impact lives and they do want to live that life of purpose. They want to feel that they're waking up every day and making a difference in someone's life, but they don't know what topic to pick. And I always tell them, you know, you're not alone. Most people struggle with this. And um, that's why I tell them that it's a science. It's actually a science trying to, uh, trying to pinpoint on that one topic that you're going to focus on. And I take them through the science of identifying it. And then through trial and error, I get them to where they want to be. So if you could just take us through this um, trial and error process briefly, mm-hmm. if I came to you and I said, Hannah, I, I want to monetize my knowledge, whether it's through an online course or maybe a speaking career or just sell what I know, where would yeah. we start? Because there's a tendency to think, you know, you, you take your own knowledge for granted and mm-hmm. you're always looking outside. You know, you look at Hannah and what she's doing is so sparkly and everyone else. And you just think that what you have is just ordinary. <laughs> 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, first of all, I would ask you to grab a pen and paper. And then I would ask you to list down everything. And I'd like you to ask yourself these questions. What do you love to do? And I'll ask you to list everything that you love to do, Dan. And I'll ask you, what do people compliment you for? Because maybe there's that thing that comes so easily to you, but other people are always complimenting you. I know a lady who said that everybody complimented her on her makeup, and she didn't realize she had a talent for, for doing makeup. So ask yourself, what do people compliment you for? List all those down. And then ask yourself, what do people keep coming to you for help with? You know, there's that something that everybody's like, oh, Christine, I see that you do this. Could you help me? So you list them all down and do not overthink. I always tell people, don't overthink. Just make a list and put it all down on a piece of paper. That's the first step. The next step is then to, to do um, a kind of, now this is where the science comes in. At the top, I ask people to, to write down the KEP. KEP stands for knowledge, experience, and passion, all right? Then for everything that they have listed them down, they ask themselves on a scale of one to five, how much knowledge do I have in this topic? And then they write it down. And then they ask themselves on a scale of one to five, how much experience do I have in this topic? And then they write it down. And then on a scale of one to five, how passionate am I about this topic, okay? And then they do this for each and every skill that they listed down. Then they add these up. And then the one that's caused the highest would be what we call the low-lying fruit. For example, if you had listed down, let's say, tennis, and you had listed down cooking, and you had listed down drawing, and you had listed down graphics design, and you had listed down makeup, you name it, whatever it is. After you do this test, the one that's caused the highest, for example, let's say graphics design is the one that caused the, that scored the highest. I tell them without overthinking, this is going to be the niche that we're going to run with. Because if you overthink, you keep going back and saying, no, but I don't think this is the one that I should go with. Oh, I don't think this is the one that I should go with. I tell them, just pick that one and go with it. If it's not the one that you that you absolutely wanted to go with, you can always change your mind later, but at least you have started because starting is the hardest thing. And then once you start, if you do have to come back to the drawing board and change your topic, the second time around, it's going to be so much easier because you've already done it the first time. So the second time you go back to the drawing board, choose another niche, it's going to be so much easier because this is not the first time you're doing it. And Christina, I can tell you, I can say 80% of my students change their first niche, 80%, yeah. When we go through this exercise of identifying what we're passionate about, we shouldn't overthink, but we should also be open to everything else that we love that might not yeah. be what is our current career right now, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, Christine, when we do this exercise, I usually give my, my students 15 minutes and I actually put the timer on and I have the timer on the screen. And I said, you're not going to take longer than 15 minutes because the brain has a way of overthinking and trying to protect us. And that's when the imposter syndrome sets in. So I said, we're just going to take 15 minutes and you're going to pick a niche. And that's the one that we'll go with. And after 15 minutes, many of them are like, oh, but let me just go back. And I'm like, no. 15 minutes are over this is the one we're going to go with and then we get started um i think it's the late bob proctor who once said 
that purpose doesn't find you when you're sitting there waiting for it to come. Purpose finds you when you're out there trying different things. Yeah. I love that. When you're out there actually trying different things. And I love the example that you gave about uh, the lady who was always being complimented about makeup. But there's so many things. It could be your ability to advise you know, the way you solve problems, the way you see things. And like we said, these can be outside your career, but Hannah, Mm -hmm. you can also monetize knowledge that you have acquired in your career and become a consultant, can't you? Oh yes, absolutely. Um, Many people, many, actually um, my ideal client is someone who wants to do something after leaving the corporate world. You know, they want to retire, but they just don't want to sit at home doing nothing. And Yeah, so I tell them to look at what they did in the office. Maybe you were just such a good team player. You knew how to bring people together. And I know people who start courses on things like negotiation skills, or maybe you used Excel every single day and to you it comes naturally and somebody's struggling to use Excel and you tell them, hey, come out, teach you how to use Excel. And it could be even things like what I did in the corporate world. I was a corporate trainer. So when I decided to go online, all I did was take my corporate training skills and then turn them into the online course creation strategies that I have today. Interesting, Hannah. So you were in the corporate world and you decided to leave. Why did you decide to leave? And what has it been like monetizing your knowledge on your own? Yeah, um, I, I think I told you this before, Christine, I was living in the Middle East and then I'd lived there for more than 20 years and then we had to come back home. And when I came back home, um, a part of me knew that I didn't want to look for a job. Um, And don't get me wrong, I absolutely loved my time in the corporate world, but I just felt like I just wanted that time freedom and location freedom. And that's when I thought, no, I need to do something else. So that's when I started going through, you know, different Facebook groups, browsing Google, trying to find what I could do. And it came as a surprise that I could now take what I love to do in the corporate world and then turn it into a business. But initially, Christine, just like many people, I actually changed my niche. Yeah. Um, When I was in the corporate world, I was mainly a customer service trainer. So I taught customer service. So when I decided to take my business online, I thought, okay, I do love customer service. I absolutely love interacting with customers. So I'm going to teach people about good service. So I started on it, but as I did my research, um, I realized that most people didn't want to buy an online course on customer service uh, because most corporations will take their staff to do a course on customer service. So nobody wants to go home and then pay for a course that's on customer service. So that's when I realized, no, um, maybe I need to do something else. And then, as I said, I went back to the drawing board and then changed my niche on my topic and started doing course creation. Uh, So when someone tells me that, you know, I think this is not working for me and I need to change, I feel them because I've been there. I've been there. And I tell them, you know, when we go back to the drawing board and start all over again, the second time around, it's going to be so much easier because that's what I did. I went back to the drawing board, started all over again. And the second time, it was so much easier. So I'm able to empathize with what they're going through as they try to change their niche. And, you know, when you talk about it being doable, but also, you know, being patient with yourself as you change your niche and, you know, try to navigate this monetization of knowledge space, 
it actually makes me think, you know, if it's so amazing and doable to actually, you know, sit down and monetize your knowledge and treat yourself like a business, you know, whether you are staying in the same career or creating something else for yourself, what holds us back from doing it? You've already mentioned, um, you know, how challenging it can be to actually pinpoint what you're good at or what you can sell, but what else holds us back from being able to monetize our knowledge? Oh, yes, Christine, what holds us back is not the strategy. It's not the lack of knowledge. It's not the lack of experience. It's simply our very own brains. <laughs> yeah, our brains are funny. They want to protect us. And when the brain senses that you're about to get, to get away from your comfort, comfort zone, it tries to protect you by holding you back. Yeah. Our brains were meant to protect us. And I always give this example of the prehistoric times when, you know, they say we lived in caves and we had to stay close to the tribe and we had to stay cozy in the cave because our brains knew if you tried to risk and get out of the cave, <laughs> there was a lion or a tiger or a, a bear waiting for you out there. So those who survived were those who did not really take the risks. There were those who stayed close in the cave and stayed with the rest of the tribe. So today, our brains are still trying to hold us back, not in a bad way. They think they're protecting us. And they're like, hey, Christine, you know, you're very cozy here doing what you've always done. You're very cozy here in the corporate world. You've done this for 23 years. Why do you want to get out of this cozy environment? The big, bad world is waiting for you. Out there, it's going to swallow you up. And you keep thinking, nobody wants to listen to me. Nobody's going to buy from me. I'm not good enough. And even though you've done something for 20 years, the little voice keeps telling you you're not good enough. All these things are the ones that will hold us back. Yeah, our brains are not always open to change. I recently read an article that debunked the fact that imposter syndrome exists. Uh, but what I would like to say is that imposter syndrome does exist. Maybe some people don't feel it. I you know I cannot speak for everyone, but this is definitely something that I that I suffered from when I first started out. And I can say even today, there are times when when I wake up and I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I get here? Um, so imposter syndrome, simply put, is that feeling of you're not good enough or you, you, you're almost absent from your life, from your, from your reality. You're looking at what you have achieved and think, and you're thinking, no, this can't be me. And again, it goes back to the brain protecting us from the unknown. Um, but what I'd like to say about imposter syndrome is that once you acknowledge that it's there, you're able to beat it. And the one thing I tell people is to stop comparison analysis. Yeah. We do have a habit of trying to go out there and comparing ourselves to, to people who've been there maybe longer than us, or maybe people who started with us and now they seem to be so far ahead. Everybody's journey is different. So once you embrace your journey, once you allow yourself to be present in, in the today, here and now, you're able to accept that, yes, you can do this and you may not be where you want it to be, but you're getting there. And sometimes it's the opposite. You get there faster than you expected. Maybe you didn't expect to get a client so soon and suddenly somebody is calling you up and saying, I want to hire you. And suddenly your brain is telling you, but you're not ready. You are ready. You are ready. You just need to go out there, meet this client. And there's a, there's a saying that we say, um, you can say yes and then figure it out. 
Say yes to this client who wants to hire you because this client has seen something in you. Um, there's something known as a personal connection, and that is more important than anything else. This client thinks that they have um, a personal connection with you and you're not signing them up. You will actually be doing a disservice to this client. Yeah. Right, Hannah. And it also brings to mind the beliefs that we have, right? Because you know, even when we talk about, uh, you know, reprogramming the mind with affirmations and positive thoughts and, you know, motivating ourselves, it takes so much time to do that until mm -hmm. you literally create a new belief system for yourself that your brain responds to. And not just the thoughts. I think it's also society because, you know, we're taught to believe that, you know, if you are in a stable corporate job, stepping outside of that is risky and careless. And that's why sometimes we feel that, you know, people who get into entrepreneurship did so because they couldn't get into corporate, you know, and that's not always the case. And, and this is also for people who have been unable to be absorbed into the workforce for whatever reason, because we obviously have people listening who have tried you know, to get into, into the workforce. They've gone for so many interviews and they sit there wondering, am I useless? Am my qualifications useless? You know, are my talents useless? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, I often say that there's usually a disconnect between ability and belief. Yes, you have the ability, but the belief is always lacking. And it comes from all those places that you've said. Society, society is telling you, hey, you cannot make it. And sometimes they, they genuinely mean well. Maybe there's somebody who genuinely knows somebody who left the corporate world and it didn't work. So people come to us and they genuinely mean well when they say, you know, Christine, I think you need to stay in that job. Um, you know, you just don't retire. I know you're not happy and you need more time freedom, but, you know, just, just suck it up. Just suck it up and stay there. And something else is our education system. And I'm glad to see that in many countries, the education system is changing. But when you and I were growing up, it was all about, hey, you need to get that good job. You need to please your boss. You need to, you know, even if things in the corporate world are not working, you need to stay in there. It's cozy. Back to the tribe, you know. Um, our, our, our education system always told us it was good to be with that tribe in the corporate world. And there was no room for risk-taking, as, as we see people taking risks today. Uh, but now, and I think we have to thank COVID in a way, uh, COVID forced people to be risk takers. Even people who were not risk takers before were pushed, were pushed off the edge and were told, you really need to take this risk. You need to jump. And the education system is now changing and people are learning things like entrepreneurship in school. I never learned about entrepreneurship. I've had to navigate everything on my own. I love that. There's a disconnect between ability mm -hmm. and beliefs. And you know, whether you actually like what you're doing or not, whether you're passionate about it or not, you've been, I mean, if you're working somewhere, you've been hired to do the work based on your knowledge and skill. So it's safe to say that we are monetizing our knowledge most of the time anyway, whether we like it or not. Yeah. But now mm -hmm. I want to ask you, Hannah, um, since we've been talking about the education system, would you say there's a disconnect between ability and even what we choose to study? Because there are a lot of people who are miserable, honestly. Mm. They may be brilliant performers, but deep down inside they're restless, 
you know, they're frustrated, they're not happy because their actual gifts and talents are not being activated. And they keep asking, is there not more to life than this? And nobody understands because they look at you and they're like, you have this job, you know, you have a stable Mm -hmm. life. What more do you want? And, you know, maybe perhaps if we were able to identify our gifts, our talents at a young age before we chose what we were going to study, it would actually maximize our ability to monetize this knowledge, not just in the workplace, but even in private businesses. Yes, yes. Yeah, I like that. If, If we can change and start to identify these gifts early, I think um, there's that story, there's a story where we are told to not take your lump and hide it under the bed. You know, if you, if you have that thing that you're good at, don't, don't put that light under the bed, leave it outside. Um, But back to society and even our parents, many of them were meant well, but um, when we were growing up, it was a big deal to be a doctor. It was a big deal to be an engineer. And I always joke and I tell people, you know, I am very honest that I was never good at maths, you know, but I was always told to focus more on maths. And my maths teacher, he would tell me, you know, you're, you're already good. I, I always wrote really good essays, but I was always told, don't worry about the essays. You're good at that. Just focus on maths. So I spent a lot of my years in high school focusing on maths, which I did not enjoy. And I always said I did not like maths and maths did not like me. <laughs> We had a mutual love-hate relationship with maths, but all I was told was you really need to work on your maths. You really need to work on your maths, but I didn't like it. And looking back, I wish they had identified and said, you know what, you, you, you're you a good storyteller. And maybe I, I always joke and say, maybe I'd be writing scripts for Hollywood today <laughs> if I had been encouraged to follow that route. But I was always, that side was always silenced. Why? Because they always felt you need to really you know, get that maths into your head. But today, um, in my country, one of the, I would say one of the richest people, I, I don't know if he's that rich, but I know he's very popular and he gets a lot of is this guy who's very funny and all the big corporate events, you know, he's being called to, to MC. He has a radio show that he talks, you know, he just, he just takes what's going on in the news and then turns it into a joke. And people love that. They tune in every single morning and he jokes and he says, guys, I was a D student. He says, he says it himself. He says, I was dumb in school, (laughs) but I had a good attitude and always made people laugh. So he says when he failed his high school exams and tried to get a job and couldn't get a job, and he couldn't even afford bus fare to get into town to go for the interviews. He would sit next to the coffee shop and just make people laugh. And that's when someone said to him, you know what, you can actually make a career out of this. And he thought, are you kidding me? You know, I, I was always told I wouldn't amount to anything. Luckily, he met somebody who believed in him and gave him a gig where he was to open for a top comedian. And all, he just needed to go up there on stage and give a few jokes, but people loved him. He got a standing ovation. And that's when all the agents came calling. Now his calendar is full. He jokes and says, you cannot actually get him. He's actually booked for the next two years because he's got so many, you know, events to events to, um, to MC and, you know, even just showing up at big launches. And yeah, I was listening to him and saying, this is somebody who's monetizing something that he's good at. 
People complimented him on his jokes. People asked him how he makes it, how, how he, he's, he manages to be so funny so effortlessly. And people always asked him, how can you do this every single day? But that's because it came naturally to him. Now he is lucky, but I wonder how many other people were not as lucky. There was a guy, I was listening to him the other day and he said his parents were both doctors and he was very bright in school. He was very, you know, he was, he had, he, he was gifted but he just didn't enjoy it. That's, that was not him. He wanted to go into drama school and his parents just did not see how their son was going to embarrass them. And those are, those are his words, not mine. Uh, they didn't know how he said their son was going to embarrass them by be- going on stage and acting. But he followed <laughs> his dream. <laughs> yeah. And he followed his dream and look at him today, monetizing what he loves to do. And who knows, he can soon start an online course teaching people how to be actors, because it's science. Being a good actor is a science. Teach people how to act. Teach people how to write these scripts. And children will see that. And now they will go to him and ask him to help them monetize what they see in themselves now, which is a love for acting. That That is a very interesting and I think common example that you gave, Hannah, when you were talking about, you know, not wanting to embarrass your parents or whoever your, your caregivers are who say this is what you should be but I think we also can internalize what society tells us until we own it and then it's no longer about your parents it's about I will embarrass myself in my community what are people going to think about me you know yeah Yes, definitely. Um, and that's why in, in my coaching program, when I take people through my program, because I like to marry the two, online course creation and mental fitness. And when they go through those stages of, oh, I don't want to embarrass themselves, myself, I tell them to go back to that point where they were a child. And I tell them when you were one year old and you were learning how to walk, you didn't just take the first step and manage to walk. You fell down a couple of times, but children don't look around and feel embarrassed every time they fall. No, they fall down and pick themselves up and continue walking. Uh, It's only when we grow up and when we fall down, we get embarrassed and look around to see if anybody noticed. No, go back to that point when you were a child, when you didn't care who saw you fall because you knew you had a target, which was to walk. And you were so determined to walk, you didn't care who laughed at you. Yeah. So I tell them to go to that point, to tap, tap into that child in them and pick themselves up and keep walking. You know, Hannah, speaking of childhood, you spoke about the the fear of maths that you had when you were (laughs) younger. And (laughs) I think it's very important for parents. You know, I had this mathematical phobia. And I remember when Mm -hmm. I was about seven years old, I was in class. We were all Mm -hmm. sitting on the, the carpet and our teacher had a toy clock and, you know, she kept moving the, the hands of the clock and asking everyone to tell the time. And I remember just being fascinated by this clock. It was a red clock. And I had never wow. seen a red clock before with red <laughs> hands, you know, and it was just creative because I'm naturally a creative person and I see life yeah. in pictures and, and colors, right? And so I got caught up in this and I was so fascinated. And then she said, Christine, what time is it? And I froze. Oh, I froze because I didn't know what time it was. I just knew what color it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she said, look at her. She can't even tell the time. Oh. And you can imagine decades later, 
that seed. I mean, I struggled. And, and here's the thing. I went to a school that really promoted creativity and the arts and, and the like. And I lead more towards that and, you know, writing and expressing myself with words. And I struggled with math to the uh -huh. point where I literally spent an extra year um, in university for my undergrad trying to battle through calculus. You can imagine what a nightmare that was. <laughs> and now here's the thing that that was just something I wasn't good at. I was good at so many other things, but that thing of not being good at maths stuck with me because, you know, the teachers pointed it out, you know, my report cards were tainted and it was sort of like, you're defective. There's something wrong with you. Oh, yeah. And so when I registered for my master's, it was actually in business. It was an MBA. I was dreading the, you know, there was accounting, there was financial management, economics, and I was like, I'm dead. It's over. And why did I even do this? And what they did is the, the exams were always structured in such a way that, um, you know, you had the, the quantitative and the qualitative side. Oh. I did my best, you know, I, you know, where other people would have to study for like a few days. I literally took two weeks off every time before an exam. <laughs> and oh I was gosh. living on Red Bull and peanuts to study. <laughs> And what I did in each exam was I just went straight for the essay question. Mm. Every paper had an essay question because I had embraced, even as I was studying, I embraced the fact that I learned through stories and pictures. That's how I understand things, patterns. So if it was an economics principle, I would tell the story like, but what does this actually mean? What are they saying? <laughs> what story are they telling us? What does it mean for us? And I would always go in and hit, I mean, it was for 25 marks, right? And for those papers, for those questions, I would score like 20, 20 out of 25. Oh, wow. Writing, because that's, yeah. that's what I'm good at. Writing, telling stories, understanding through patterns. And at that point, I realized that, you know, there's so many routes to where you mm -hmm. want to go and you need to trust the route that has been crafted for you based on what you're good at. Just trust that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. And this is something we need to start telling the next generation. Um, and I was listening to you talk and I just remembered something that I once read and, that, and it says that our brains naturally tend to focus on what we don't know or what we don't have. Mm, wow. So if you're really, yeah, if you're really good at, at writing, the brain will focus on what you're not good at. So one exercise that, that I always ask my students to do is to write down, to journal every good thing that they have, every, every little thing that they're grateful for. So then you accentuate and you really, and I always tell them to exaggerate, no matter how small that little something is, I tell them to, to, to rejoice like it's the best thing ever. You know, so that way you start to shift your brain from focusing on what, on what you don't have to focusing on what you have, no matter how small it is. Yeah. I love that. The gratitude principle, yeah. because when you think of your destination, it's so easy to think about everything you don't have. I can't yeah. do this. I don't have this background. I don't have this experience. I don't have these networks, so I can't get there. 
And yet, if you can focus on what you do have and develop that, mm -hmm. it will still lead you there, right? Because, yeah. I mean, even the example I gave you, I literally went from being in, you know, creative industries to being primarily in business and entrepreneurship. But, wow. you know, that's not the path that was highlighted for me. You know, the path was you are defective in ABC. So you should probably pick another route. So I wanted to ask you, Hannah, as you're taking people through this process of monetizing their knowledge, somebody says, I want to start a consultancy and this and that, or I want to teach people how to do ABC. Do you ever encounter people feeling uh, like they don't have enough or inadequate, you know, giving so many reasons why they cannot start? Yeah, all the time, all the time all the time. I, I think I can see 99% of the people that I work with, or even the ladies in my Facebook group will tell me uh, what they don't have or why they cannot get started. But we have a motto in my Facebook group. We always say, start where you are. Start with what you have, no matter how small, just start with that. Do you have a laptop? Good. Let's start there. You have internet connection? Let's start there. Okay. Now what do you do? Go on Facebook. Tell people what you do, put it on your profile, let them know this is what I'm going to be doing. Then you just take baby steps. I always say, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is one bite at a time. Because if you look at this whole business program that you want to start, it looks like a big elephant that's so intimidating, but break it down, break it down and start small. Even in the program, as my students start to launch their courses, I encourage them to start with things like workshops. Don't start with a big six-week course, start with a small workshop. And I love one of the ladies in my Facebook group, and she was telling us how she, when she started, when she became a coach, she launched a workshop. And she promoted it for about two weeks. And by the day of the workshop, nobody had turned up. But guess what, Christine? She didn't cancel. She called her mom and her sister. And she says, hey, you know what? I'm supposed to do a workshop today. Nobody has paid. Nobody has signed up. But I'm still going to do it. And I need an audience. So log in now. And you're going to listen to me. And luckily, her mom and her sister logged in. And she, she just did the whole workshop. It was an hour's workshop, an hour, an hour and a half. But at least she did that first step. She took that first step by launching that, that workshop. And today she's having sold out workshops. Now, what if she had given up? What if she had focused on the fact that nobody signed up? What if she had focused on the fact that nobody, nobody paid? And it was a very uh, low ticket. We call them LTOs. It was a very low ticket course. I think she was charging like $27. And she could have said, oh, if nobody wants to pay me $27, how would anybody ever pay me $1,000? you know this means nobody wants to wants to work with me but she didn't let that stop her yeah so I know that you've been through the PQ which is positivity quotient course or program yes. can you tell us what that is about positivity intelligence or positive intelligence yeah uh positive intelligence simply put is the ability to to deal with life's challenges from a positive angle. There will always be challenges. And whenever you face a challenge, the default is to go into the negative, but you face 
those challenges head on. That's what positive intelligence is all about. Now we talk about emotional intelligence, which is which, which tends to be more popular than positive intelligence because positive intelligence is relatively new. And emotional intelligence is all about um, managing your emotions. But what is missing in, is in emotional intelligence is the how. Yes, you've asked me to manage my emotions, but how do I do it? Now that's how PQ, that's when PQ comes in. PQ shows you how. It gives you practical tips, things that you need to do to shift your brain from focusing on the negative to going into the positive. Yeah, that's why I love that program. And that is why I ended up becoming a mental fitness coach because I like to give people practical tips. Uh, the first thing that you do when you, be, when you go into positive intelligence is take, is take a quick um, assessment. And the assessment, based on what you're going through at that time, tells you what your top saboteurs are. Most of the times we know that we have these little voices in our heads, but we don't know what they are. But positive intelligence gives you the ability to call them out. Now, I'll go through some of them and I'll start with my, <laughs> with my saboteurs because I have to be honest with myself and know these saboteurs so I can then deal with them. I can then wrestle them to the ground, as I like to say. Um, one of my highest saboteurs is the avoider. Have avoider is what makes you procrastinate. And a lot of times I knew I was a procrastinator, but now that I took the assessment and I knew that I have a very high avoider, I was able to know why I procrastinate all the time. It's because my brain is trying to protect me. So every time I'm supposed to do a launch, I'll look for something else to do instead of doing what I'm supposed to do. And Christine, the interesting thing about the avoider is that the avoider does not does not tell you not to do anything. The avoider actually looks for something that's easy to do. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that place where you're supposed to sit down and do something on your laptop for your, for your clients, but instead you find yourself cleaning the kitchen. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> the brain wants to do something that, is, that comes easily because cleaning the kitchen, if you've done, if you, every time you clean up after you finish whatever you're doing, then it becomes easy. The brain has done this so many times. It does this every single day. So it comes easy. So the brain starts to look around for something that's easier than what it's actually supposed to do. Another one is the controller. I also have a high controller and I'm so happy that I'm now able to call it out. The controller tells you that you need to do everything. And as a controller, you find it very difficult to delegate. Yeah. I'm the type, Christine, that used to find it so hard to delegate. I would be in a project and instead of asking someone else to do something, I would end up doing it myself. Or even after somebody had done something, I would end up redoing it my way. <laughs> so the assessment made me realize that I have a very high controller. So now that I know it, that when I find myself unable to delegate, me looking at something that was done by somebody else and wanting to redo it my way, I recognize that that's the controller in me. And it, and it can really hold you back. Another one is the hyperachiever. You might think that the hyperachiever is a good thing because after all, isn't it good for your business that you're a hyperachiever? Where here's the downside. When you're a hyperachiever, you don't enjoy the process because you're so focused on the goal. You're not really enjoying every step of the way. Right. And yeah, so... It, it, it beats the purpose because you're going to start this business. It's going to be a successful business. But if you're not going to enjoy the process, then it, it kind of beats the purpose. You need to enjoy what you do so that you can actually be able to help more people. The next one is a stickler. The stickler always wants to do things the 
the way it's always done. You know, I've always done it this way. I'm not going to change. But you cannot afford to be a stickler in this day and age because the world is so dynamic. You wake up today and there's a new, there's a new app that makes things easier. There's, you know, there's so many things that, that are changing and you need to change with the times. So that's why you need to recognize if you find yourself doing things the way you've always done them and you don't want to, to improve, you need to call out that stickler and realize that it's just holding on to the good old ways instead of moving forward. And the others like uh, the victim, the victim is that tiny voice that tells you, well, I failed before. Well, I tried my last launch, it didn't work. So this time it's not gonna work either. Nothing of mine ever works. And um, the funny thing about the victim is that uh, the victim uses excuses all the time. Yeah, as I said, it didn't work last time, it won't work this time. So we need to recognize those that voice, just tell yourself, I'm not the one speaking, it's the victim inside me and I need to silence this, this, this victim. Yeah, and the others like are the pleaser. <laughs> the pleaser wants to please everybody. Well, here's the thing, you cannot please everybody. Nobody can please everybody, so just accept it. But as a pleaser, you find it very hard to accept that you cannot please everybody. And as entrepreneurs, this is where we end up working so hard to, to, to create our online course and then end up giving it all for free. Because, you know, you, you, don't want, you don't want anybody to, to say, hey, she's asking for money, so you give it up for free. But if it's a business, you need to get paid. Otherwise, if you don't get paid, then it's a hobby. It's a hobby and not a business. Yeah, and that's just a nutshell, just to show you what, uh, what saboteurs are and how they mess with us and how we can recognize them and call them out. Hannah, thank you so much for that. It actually brings to mind the fact that, you know, to deal with some of these saboteurs, these sabotaging voices in our minds, we may want to consider, you know, maybe going for therapy or anything that can help us uncover the sources of these beliefs. These sabotaging beliefs can come up in entrepreneurship. I had a very unfortunate um, incident with, with a client who was really upset because I made, you know, I, I went above and beyond to the point of mm -hmm. sacrificing myself because I wanted to please this person. And the person ended up not even seeing it that way or appreciating it. And when I, I reflected, I said to myself, but as an entrepreneur, that was not even my role. I was going yeah. above and beyond because I felt that if I didn't try and do more to please this person, even beyond being professional, they wouldn't be happy. So as a pleaser, you really need to learn where to put your boundaries. Yeah. Mm. Boundaries are very important, especially for pleasers. But you need to first recognize that pleaser so that you can then know that you need to put boundaries. And then you don't feel guilty about put, putting the boundaries because you, you're able to recognize that this, this was not good for my business. I was just trying to please Yes. Wow. Yeah. That is powerful, mm -hmm. Hannah. That, that is a very powerful point. Going beyond to the point of even affecting your, your profits, yeah. you know, your, your, your professionalism and your own mental health. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Something that we, we do as, as mental fitness coaches is let people know that um, before we coach, sometimes if it's something that a traumatic experience that they have, therapy is very important. It's very important to get that sorted out because then you will not be fully present in your business. And even if these traumas have been buried, 
somewhere in your past. They can come up when you, when you face challenges and challenges will be there. But you'll find that your, your saboteurs might even be heightened more than the average person because of a specific traumatic experience. Right, Hannah. Now, as we wrap up, let's summarize some of those tips that can help us to monetize our gifts, our skills, and our ideas. My, my number one tip is start where you are. Start with what you have. And number two, don't belittle uh, some of the things that come so naturally to you. They might come so naturally to you that you're thinking, why would I want to teach this? It's so easy. It's easy to you, but it not, might be as easy to other people. Yeah. So don't be afraid to start doing your research. Go out there and see what others are doing in that topic that you would like to pursue. See what others are doing. And Christine, you'll be surprised. You can monetize pretty much everything everything to you it might seem impossible to monetize it but go out there and see who has monetized it see what they're doing and then start working from there and always remember you're impacting lives everybody has that gift please stop hiding your gift under the bed bring that lamp from under the bed and let it shine and impact lives you just don't know whom you will be touching with that gift that you have And just to add to that, we need to remember the importance of preparation, right? So if you are planning to transition from being employed to being self-employed, it's really a good idea to start planning for that financially. Another thing is start investing in your networks. You know, now that you have an idea of where you want to go, You want to build your professional network in this topic that you've chosen. You want to strengthen or deepen your expertise and also start cultivating potential clients by really getting to know what specific challenges people have that you are able to solve. And again, we have to remember that as long as you're in business, when you're monetizing something, you are a business. You have to treat yourself as a business and that includes applying business principles so really study for yourself even online we're talking about online courses get online get on youtube and really understand what business principles would apply specifically to your idea because you do want to be profitable you want to be happy and profitable so the business principles that you should apply to finding your ideal client is number one identifying the problem Business is all about solving a problem. Then once you have identified the problem, then you go out and look for your ideal client. Your ideal client being that person that you resonate with. Because you know what they say? If you try to help everyone, you will end up helping no one. Something else that you need to be very clear about is the outcomes. What is the transformation that you're going to take this client through? Because they will ask questions and they don't really want to know all the details of how they're going to get there. All they want to know is, can you get me to where I want? And this is what will get that ideal client to raise their hand and say, I'm in. I've been looking for you. Where have you been? Yeah. Hannah runs the Course Boss Academy. You can find her on Instagram. She has a lot of interesting tips to share. So thank you so much, Hannah, for joining us today. You are most welcome, Christine. And thank you so much for having me. 
Thank you for joining us on the Purpose and Vision Mastery Podcast. Remember, purpose transforms everything. Thank you.